Recast, supporting women entrepreneurs in Southern Alberta, with your host, Jenny Bourne. Welcome to Recast, coming to you from Treaty 7 lands, home of the Blackfoot people of the Canadian Plains and the Métis Nation, Region 3. Recast is a four-part podcast summer series produced by WeSTEM, the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program here to support all women entrepreneurs in rural regions of Southern Alberta. WeSTEM is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy through Economic Development Lethbridge. The WeCast podcast is here to amplify the voices and tell the stories of self-identified women entrepreneurs and those who support them all across rural regions of Southern Alberta. Please join us in conversation with women business owners and business advisors from Southern Alberta as we build community in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. My name is Jenny Bourne, and I'm very excited to welcome you to our inaugural episode. And I'm joined by Alyssa Borix, our technical producer. We are happy to have conversation today with serial entrepreneur, innovator, and WeSTEM workshop facilitator and business advisor, Wendy Muse, head of strategy for Ground Floor Labs and founder of BreastBuds. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you for giving us your time today. Um, happy to. I, thank you. Please just start by telling us who is Wendy Muse and what brought you to entrepreneurship and to the WeSTEM program. Sure. Well, I come to Alberta by way of Cape Breton, which is a pretty roundabout way to get here. Um, my grandfather was actually born in Tabor, and then they moved to Cape Breton, which again, I think is just like a really weird time frame to be taking a cross Canada tour, but I did not know that. Rovers. Yeah. And so uh, I moved to Alberta a while ago. Um, I've been here almost two decades now. And um, I started working in entrepreneurship when I finished university. I had worked um, for Flight Center as a travel agent and as a manager there. And I learned a ton about like just leadership and culture working for them. And then um, I worked for a bank and I worked for an oil and gas company and my mom had gotten quite ill. And so I took leave from the oil and gas company and was studying, uh, doing my uh, undergrad in business at the same time. And I, when I finished that degree, I immediately started working um, in the sort of startup ecosystem at um, a kind of think tank. And I started working on projects there and we had some, some pretty big successes there. And that got me into and interested in I think entrepreneurship and then just like economic development and social, um, like social responsibility, I guess, around those, those things. And so that kind of brought me into all three. And when I think of everything, I think of Venn diagrams. And so like, those are sort of the Venn diagrams of how I got into entrepreneurship. And then I really enjoyed, I, I started working with Business Link and AWE and I really liked working in rural versus um, urban areas. I think because I grew up in a rural area and I could really appreciate the sort of adversity that comes with 
rural barriers. And um, so I worked on a project in Wood Buffalo um, after the wildfires. Uh, and that got me really, uh, again, thoughtful about the idea of how when you really focus your efforts in a in a niche way, you can you can see genuine results. And so then um, I left uh, Business Link and started my own company called Ground Floor Labs. And Ground Floor Labs is really focused on um, social strategy in economic development related to entrepreneurial stewardship, which is a mouthful. But basically, it just relates to the responsibility we as people who are supporting entrepreneurs should feel towards ensuring that we're delivering our services equitably, right? Problems aren't just in the city. <laughs> and so uh, solutions shouldn't just be provided in the city and that it shouldn't be a barrier also to getting to um, services. And so I think that's something that uh, COVID has really provided uh, a, a ton of equity for lots of, at least for reach, uh, for lots of entrepreneurs, I think. And then um, I mentioned oh, my mom got sick. Yep. To clarify, when you say equity, you don't mean financial equity? No, I mean like equity in that before I never would have been able to uh, sit at a table in Spain speaking to a group of people related to entrepreneurial equity, but now I can because... Mm -hmm. COVID has opened the doors to, um, I'm part of a, a series that I know WeSTEM uh, supports called Founder Fridays. And we've been speaking with professors from Harvard, MIT, um, Wharton, you know, all sort of, of the Ivy League schools that you can think of. And they're giving us firsthand information about current trends. So Normally, we would learn about that seven years from now when it becomes a sort of talking point in mm. social circles, you know, not at an, most of us aren't, you know, still going back at that academic level and getting that information. And so that sort of equity to have, have the opportunity to have firsthand conversations and ask questions to people like that, no matter where we are in our province, that is something that we've, we've not we've never had. And so that type of equity in terms of like bringing collaboration and, and new voices and new opinion and new sort of entry points is great. And it also creates exit strategies for lots of folks for their businesses, right? And for like, how do I get more exposure in new markets? You can now go to new markets and just have a Zoom meeting. And it wouldn't matter if you were down the street or 5,000 kilometers away. That's how we would be meeting. Right. And so that that creates great, um, great entry for lots of folks. Right. Uh, so when my mom got sick, um, I also started to uh, explore some some stuff related to my personal life. And uh, there's just a really high prevalence of cancer in my family. And so I had had some tests done and had uh, a recommendation to have some preventative surgeries, which I did. And at that time, um, I had really identified just this gap in the market for certainly people who are impacted by breast cancer and started working on um, the first project that I've ever founded, which is Breast Buds. And I would say that the difference between entrepreneurship and, and founding is um, in entrepreneurship, it's kind of like 
an acting role. You know, you take on a problem, you work on that problem, then you get rid of that problem, you take on a new problem. Because entrepreneurship, you're really moving from one thing to another. It's It, it really is, in my opinion, where innovation and, and small business come together. And uh, founding a business or a project is, it's like when you, you're you're done hopping. You don't want to go from, it's like when you're a Spielberg and you're just like, we're going to work on this for the next 12 movies. <laughs> and you just like dedicate effort to something for a long extended, like you see the ongoing challenge of it. And that for me was a really big change from um, sort of how I saw stuff in entrepreneurship. So can I ask if people are unclear, because sometimes I am too, like founding, being a founder of a company or starting a company as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, some entrepreneurs, if you look at their LinkedIn page, it says CEO of blah, 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 or president of blah, 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 right? And it's like, do those titles have differences or is it people's preference? And how is being a founder different than starting your own company? So I would say the titles matter, technically, (laughs) um, especially if you're looking for funding or... um, once you incorporate things like that become um, quite relevant, I guess only if you become big (laughs) technically, but um, for me, a small business owner is uh, potentially someone who owns a a convenience store or um, they might own, so it might be an independent convenience store or it might be, uh, they might be a franchisee. And then, so to me, that's a small business owner where it is a small business and also it could be a supported business. And then entrepreneurs for me are folks who, so if a small, if if I own a Subway franchise and, um, and a car washing franchise, so to me, that is entrepreneurship where you're seeing multiple gaps in a market. So you're you're constantly assessing a market to look for areas where you can create some degree of improvement and monetize that sort of over and over. And so again, like I would say, like that's what, how I feel about Ground Floor Labs. I, I've all, so I wouldn't say I always identified as an entrepreneur, but once I um, once I openly got into the racket, that's how I identified. I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. Like I, it's not a specific business. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll just keep creating products where gaps exist. And so, and then founding, founding for me is when you, when you've identified a problem that is significant enough that it's going to take you decades potentially to sort it out. Right. It's not something that you know, like you can create something and and three years later, it's obsolete. You're working on something that feels like a much larger, um, bigger project. And as a result of that, like you're create and you're creating something that it's not like a 1% or incremental improvement necessarily. It's more of a bridge, right? Like you're founding something that doesn't necessarily exist Mm -hmm. um, and, and creating that and putting it into the market to try and solve a problem. Okay. That helps. Thank you. I want to circle back, if you don't mind, to something you said right at the beginning. You had talked about the difference. You found it different to be uh, working in the urban versus rural spaces and that the the barriers perhaps were different or more. Could you, like, what did you find? What what were those rural barriers that you recognized? So from from the 
perspective of an actual person living in rural communities, mm-hmm. which I have most of my life, uh, the most obvious barrier is internet. I think internet mm-hmm. and like, let's just, let's just hope that we cast gets the kind of reach where like politicians listen to this and are like, that girl is really, really smart. We should listen to her. <laughs> it should be a, like utility and a necessity because you can't function. Like if I don't have internet, don't, I don't need electricity either. Never mind, I don't need any of it. Like it's just, it's such a fundamental thing for folks and to uh, especially to operate it's recognized a business. as a basic human right now. Access yeah. to internet. And it, yeah. And it should be, right? And it should be part, like, it needs to be built into our utility in such a way that like, in, into our infrastructure in such a way that people should never go, sorry, I have like my internet especially like we are a developed nation. There's no reason that we have strong internet here and strong internet in, you know, Montana, but we can't have it in between, you know, like central Alberta and Montana. Like we, we just can't make that work. We can't make that work at all. Like that doesn't make sense. And then in Northern, I would run into things like there are, there are feeds of sort of connectivity that run between central Alberta and the the territories that are designed to provide deep, fast internet, but they don't run off. So you don't get that in between those two locations, which I, again, these are things that when you, you know, run into these things and you're like, that's really infuriating. But I, I met a woman recently who, um, she has a business here in Alberta and she's working to provide fiber up to rural communities, which I think is pivotal you know, and it's a small business doing that. So of course, again, a woman finds a solution for a problem that is impacting likely her, right? And and that's how we end up in these things. But I would also say that like a large, like a significant difference I experienced as a facilitator and an advisor from urban to rural or even urban um, is that when people have an abundance, (laughs) they waste. And in urban areas, there is an abundance of resource to help entrepreneurs. So it's not always as straightforward and you might have to go through some hoops to validate at this point or to make it whatever, but there is a ton of support to help, right? Um, even when I think of uh, organizations I've worked with in the past, they at the time I worked with them, they did a lot of work in uh, rural areas and as I see where they're at now, that's not the same sort of focus, but mm-hmm. our rural areas have grown. When when people immigrate to Canada, they're not given the options often to just move into the city and get a great job in a downtown apartment. We move people into our rural areas because we need population. We need to maintain those areas. We need people developing those communities and staying in them. And so again, in the city, you run into people who have 50 options and don't care, won't show up, doesn't matter. Like, oh, I, if I don't go to this today, there's another one leaving this afternoon, it's fine. And when you go to rural areas, you have people who are eager to find ways to create infrastructure, build in their community, develop in their community. They want to... Um, continue to grow their community. If they've grown up there or they move there, like they're invested in that community. And I like that kind of feel. I like the way that like they're the kind of people I want to help. And so 
because that's who I relate to, I think most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just, that's where I think we make impact and I think it's measurable. And so I, for me, the barriers come down to access to resource, access to um, infrastructure, and then access to capital. Um, Because lots of stuff focuses on urban areas. But I would say that it's important for entrepreneurs to recognize people are given a lot more consideration in in rural areas now than I think that they had been historically. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth continuing to push forward because I think we've made a lot of progress in building out rural areas as being just as innovative, just as tech-oriented, just as developed as sort of our urban counterparts. Yeah, for sure. So if you have been supporting, because I know you wear a lot of hats, you are an entrepreneur, you are a founder, but you're also a business advisor and you support other entrepreneurs. So wearing the hat as an advisor, um, working with entrepreneurs in urban versus rural settings, do you find that in the rural um, setting, they ask questions or are looking for different kinds of supports than you would from, from urban? Yeah, no, in urban areas, people think when they meet with me through uh, a support organization like WeSTEM, mm-hmm. that I'm a free consultant for them. Oh. And <laughs> when I meet with people in rural communities, they want to learn what I what I have, like they're, they, they understand that the, the way I like to go about things is to show you what I know. And then let's see you apply it and then see how we can sort of iterate from there. And so I find rural, rural folks are much more interested in being taught how to fish than just sitting down to some sushi. (laughs) Fair enough. So if you don't mind my asking, what are some of the barriers that you, you have faced in your different business ownership and founding roles? So again, I do have a lot of hats and uh, I would say that most recently, like in the last two years, certainly COVID created a lot of uh, barriers for me as an entrepreneur because uh, it created a lot of barriers for everyone as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But uh, uniquely to me, I have um, an autoimmune disease that creates a, a terrible amount of fear for me related to what is happening. And so um, that became really impactful to my business because I had to, I mean, I have to worry continuously actually about how I'll be able to operate and if it's safe for me to operate my business and uh, what are the best practices I can have for that. And it also, I recognize more and more things that create barriers that are unique to just sort of my circumstance And I think as an entrepreneur, it's important to recognize everyone has uh, different barriers and it's not a waiting game, you know, like where we wait, well, my, my cup is heavier than your cup. Well, I've been carrying my cup for four times longer than you. So like, how does that weigh out against one to the other? Right. It's not that kind of thing. I think it's important that we recognize more and more that as we succeed or as we move forward, all that provides us is the opportunity to reach back and pull someone else out, right? Like that has to be more of the effort that we're making to try to not sort of, there are barriers that are just overwhelming. And again, some days like I wake up and my hands don't work. That's a pretty overwhelming way to feel when most of the work you do relies on you using your hands. Mm -hmm. And so 
And again, that's because I'm Italian. Like I tuck my hands in my pockets on Zoom calls. So I don't feverishly talk with my hands. But <laughs> sorry, identi- I identify as Italian. Sorry. Right. And so uh, I am very thoughtful and mindful of the objective that as I have some sort of exposure or opportunity, that it is my responsibility to share that, that opportunity with others, especially folks who sort of help me along the way and folks who. Um, support me day in and day out. And I think that's a big part of how you overcome some of those barriers, just being able to recognize those things. So I think you bring up a good point. So you spend a lot of just your time one though. <laughs> yeah, one, one good point. We'll get to the others later. But so you spend a lot of time supporting other entrepreneurs, but where, where have you gone in the past? And where do you go for support? Do you have a, a mentor or people or programs that you've turned to? So I have several mentors and I think uh, it's a good practice to have multiple mentors and to change your mentors uh, like as you grow, because Hmm. you wouldn't always go back to your sixth grade teacher to (laughs) to ask them for advice, you know, listen, um, Mrs. Bolter, I just really want to talk to you about some stuff going on in my life right now. And so it's the same idea. Like you learn from people and then you should um, continue to grow with that. I also have, um, I have a sponsor, which is different uh, than a mentor. And so I speak with my sponsor maybe once a year. Mm -hmm. um, And I just talk about sort of anything I'm progressing on and just check in on things that I can, um, I can do for her because she has a lot busier schedule than I do. And then I use programming, like I use a lot of the programs at WeSTEM. One of the reasons that I think WeSTEM is such a great project to be spending any sort of time in is because it genuinely creates measurable impact. And I think that's what we should be working on at this point. Like, I don't think we need to recreate another business plan template for entrepreneurs. There's 7,000 of them. So Google's for, you know, we need supports that actually recognize what some of the problems impacting entrepreneurs are, right? And like, when I think about some of the programs that um, I've been a part of in WeSTEM, they solve actual roadblocks. And I think that that's important because there are still barriers. So if we can just get people around roadblocks, that's really important, right? Like that's getting people momentum, that's getting people going, that's getting them access, that's getting them introductions, right? Like, again, things like Founder Friday, WeSTEM supports Founder Friday. So that brings that to the community. There's, I go every month and there's I don't know, maybe six or seven ladies that I recognize from WeSTEM that go to those events. And so awesome. again, that's significant, right? When you think of that kind of opportunity and, and you get a free book and <laughs> not for nothing, these books are really expensive. So it's yeah. true. That's awesome. I, I have a question uh, about, well, we're, we always get questions, right? At the WeSTEM program, basically, if someone just calls us up or emails, their first question is always about funding. Do you yeah. provide funding? Which we don't, but we can we can help people access grants and um, loans and that kind of thing. So yeah, some people like startup capital or funding for innovation or growth or that kind of thing. If it's not too personal, how have you funded your, your business projects? Sorry, I just want to tell you one other thing uh, to your last question uh, before I get to <laughs> how much money do you make? How much do they pay you? <laughs> I I don't need to know that. I'm just wondering. I know, I know. know. One of the very best tools 
for every entrepreneur and like get a piece of paper and a pen. It's youtube.com. <laughs> it that. is the second most used search engine. I watch, like if I can't find something, I don't know how to do something, I Google it. And then I see, you know, sort of like, oh, is this a ton of stuff or nonsense? And then I go to YouTube and I watch a three to five minute video. And if I can't understand something in three to five minutes, then I know I probably need to read something about it. But if I can understand it in a quick video or I get the overview of it and I'm like, oh, it's seven components. Okay, let's watch component one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I would recommend that as a great tool for all entrepreneurs, no matter where they are. But again, the barrier is as long as you have a solid internet connection. Yeah. Uh, So how do I fund my projects? So I started Ground Floor Labs, like many entrepreneurs sort of side of my desk trying to get stuff going. But I recognized that I needed to just like invest in me and stop putting a little bit in and a little bit out. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to have your feet in separate canoes for a long period of time. And so, yeah, when I started Ground Floor Labs, one of the things I did, and this shouldn't surprise Mm -hmm. anyone, was I did market (laughs) research. I went out into the space that I worked and identified where gaps existed for entrepreneurs and gaps genuinely are not difficult to identify in the ecosystem because often everyone's doing the same things. Did you need a business plan template? No, I don't have a business plan, but I also don't need a business plan template. And so um, it was easy to identify where things were happening and weren't. And so I recognized immediately there's a huge gap in rural. It's my favorite space. So that's where I should work and offer service. And mm-hmm. so I started, when I first started, I was working on some tech stuff. Like I do a lot of product development stuff in tech. And so I was helping people on those projects. But I recognized it pays really well, but it, it doesn't have the same value. Like I don't feel the same way as when I work on projects in rural entrepreneurial economic development and the like stewardship of that. It feels different. Yeah. And I started thinking like, I might as well just work for a company if I'm going to have that feeling, you know? And so um, then I really focused my energy on, on how I could help support entrepreneurs. And I recognized that part of that was the customer who I wanted to serve couldn't necessarily afford the product that I wanted to sell them, right? So like, if I wanted to sell something, if I'm like, okay, well, that's probably worth $2,000, I don't expect all startup entrepreneurs to be able to spend $2,000. And so then I thought, Mm -hmm. hey, who works in service to them? How do we make this more accessible and feasible and viable for people? And um, that's how I started working with like economic development agencies and trying to get at that sort of second level where the people who are influencing entrepreneurial stewardship have experience in entrepreneurship. Because I think that's a really big facet of how things become disjointed. Same with rural. Like you can't be the voice of rural entrepreneurship if you don't spend time in rural entrepreneurs space. Like that doesn't make sense at all. And so, yeah, that's how I, that's how I got to it. So you, you funded it by finding other programs that that offered it? Like I, I, so I, I found projects like immediately that I could start building and selling. Like I, I tested them before I built the business. And then when I went out on my own, I went to all these places and was like, Hey, I'm doing this. And they were like, Oh yeah, we'd be interested in that. We would like to work on that project. I looked for some RFPs. I got some RFPs that really fit. Yeah. Um, and then breast buds, 
again, went out, did the research, found out the gap was there. So like I probably self-funded, let's say the first, in the first uh, six months, $500. It, mm-hmm. if, if you can't afford to put $500 in your business, that's fair, right? Like that is a lot to, to, to ask. There are ways to do it in under $100. And so over time, I had worked out how to really figure that piece out to get better and better at that, to test it. And so I've tried to not spend money on something until it's paying me. And so there are some, you know, you have to have some element of I'll put it in for that. And so, you know, $500 was my, like, if I can put $500 into an idea and then start getting money on it, that I are like figuring something out with it, then I'm cooking. If not, then I don't need to be doing that. So one of the most expensive parts of creating a tech company is product market fit and validation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am pretty recently trained in that. And so that helped to be able to do a lot of the validation stuff, again, on a pretty shoestring budget. I did a program out of through uh, TechConnect and WeSTEM, but uh, that was run by platform uh, called Junction. And that program, I think it was about 50 days. And it goes through many of the things that are important to founders. It gets you sort of investor ready. That's the perspective of it. But uh, while I was doing that, I, I ran several tests that allowed me to test my my messaging to my customers, uh, my website pricing, things that really mattered. And I did all of that on $238. <laughs> and that got me a few hundred direct signups, a thousand sort of interested participants. But then it also helped me work on getting some MOUs in place, which is a memorandum of understanding, which is basically like a strategic partnership uh, with some breast cancer support organizations. So that allowed me to have roughly 26,000 people in the pike to potentially join the platform when it goes live. And I was able to do all that without putting any of the investment into developing the software. So it allowed me to test it without doing it. And so we built minimum viable products and proof of concepts of it that have been able to be tested and go through that process. And so that works. But again, if I factor out the cost of my time and expertise, um, which I think lots of entrepreneurs have to do in their business in the beginning, yeah. I, I was able to vet it out and get to my first employee on probably $1,000. Wow. Good for you. Alyssa very smartly just reminded me to mention our resource page. So if, if anybody out there is wondering, if you're not in business right now and you're wondering about startups, um, and if you are in business and you're looking to grow, whatever, um, we do have a resource page at vstem.ca. And a lot of the templates that, that Wendy's been talking about and a lot of the information people are looking for, you can find resources there as well. So I should give a shout out. Thank you, Alyssa, for that. Wendy, did you want to tell us more about BreastBuds? Sure. You, you mentioned um, it a few times, but yep. what is it? Also, I have, um, I think grants are fantastic. So mm-hmm. I think that there are things that we as entrepreneurs need to recognize around grants and funding. Mm-hmm. And so grants are like uh, government support, right? And in many ways. And so you wouldn't build your whole household structure on government support. So it's never wise to build your organization structure on it either. But there are certainly things there. There are programs that are designed to help. And I think that yeah. it, it makes sound entrepreneurial sense and experience to always like 
I remember when I worked at Business Link and I used to think, man, why do people always ask about grants? And then I was like, of course they do. Like, that's like money on the table. If you're not asking about grants, are you doing the best work for your business? Uh, I hear you guys give away free money. I don't want to ask about it because that would be awkward, but (laughs) totally not interested. Yeah. You have to ask to get it though. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, I encourage every entrepreneur that the first question should be, do you have grant funding or access to it? And then when people don't have, can I just interrupt for a second? These days, there are so many more new grants coming out constantly. So we do have a grant tab under our resources. And I think this week, we've added two or three new grants. It's only Wednesday, right? Yeah. So that is constantly being updated and the old ones removed. Yeah. So it, yeah, it really behooves you to be looking for those grants because there's always yeah. grants. And it's not like, I would say that there's a lot of work. Like people think grants are free money mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not ever <laughs> free money. Just Sometimes like, the application process alone is, you know, yeah, extremely or, time consuming. And then the upkeep of it, right? Like you, you the reporting back on how things are going, that can also or the funding incurs, right? So it might be that you have to do the work to get the money paid back to you, right? These are things that all matter. But I think another recommendation I would just give to entrepreneurs who are looking for money is that resource is just as good as money. In fact, often resource is better than money. And so I would say that if you were looking for a $5,000 grant to get some marketing stuff on the go, and you're like, hey, no one will give me this $5,000 grant to get some marketing stuff on the go, talk to people at WeStem, right? Like they'll actually help you with your marketing. Yeah. So you get consultants who help you basically, but without that exchange of like, here's done work, they actually teach you how to fish. And that makes a difference because you're going to need to fish every day. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I just need this marketing material one time. Like people need ongoing marketing support. And so I would say that in the absence of being able to get money, the ability to learn the skill that is paid for is quite beneficial. And beyond that, often, and let me just plug this, if you, for example, are experiencing trouble with your marketing, you could take a program at WeSTEM, like, for example, Foundations in Digital Market, Digital Media. Mm-hmm. And that program would not only teach you as an entrepreneur how to better do all of these things related to your business and its marketing um, strategy for digital. But if you were someone who is thinking about maybe getting an entrepreneurship and you didn't know how, let me assure you, entrepreneurs need marketing support. So you could take that program learn how to create this content and then go start a business around creating content for other people and be rich by Thursday. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a worthwhile thought. Um, Yeah. Okay. So breast buds, breast buds is a platform that I develop for those impacted by breast cancer. And basically I had identified how isolating it was when I had my double mastectomy. And I thought, man, it just feels incredulous to me that people are told these catastrophic things and just sent home to figure it out with the internet. Mm-hmm. And the internet is the dirtiest place to find health-related information. Never read just the like comments. mucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like, you don't want to get into it. It's a rabbit hole that is like quicksand. And by the time you recognize, you know, like where you're at, you're too deep in to get out of it. And you're just like, it makes it all worse. 
Yeah. And so I thought, hey, what if rather than telling people, go ask the internet, you could say, go chat with peers, people who've been there, who understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I thought that must exist and it didn't. And so I started working on it. And um, I've just hired my first data scientist. Congratulations. Uh, that's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah. I've applied for several grants, uh, which I'm very hopeful about. And again, it's very much focused on alleviating some of the barriers that impact rural folks because not surprisingly, cancer disproportionately impacts people in rural communities. And so one of the things that I thought about um, because I actually got quite sick while I was working on that project in Fort McMurray was what happens when you're diagnosed and you have to drive home, you know, and your drive home is two hours or three hours. Are there support groups? Like, do people in the city know how to connect you to those? Do you just go home and try and find stuff on the internet? Like, is that what really happens? And so through exploring all of that, and again, doing market research, like actually doing customer discovery, mm-hmm. I was able to um, really understand that a lot more. And uh, 56% of people who have mastectomy surgeries live three plus hours away from the treatment center. So it is disproportionate and it is genuine and it impacts people uh, in ways that we tend not to consider. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's ways that automation and technology can help uh, alleviate our own empathy gap, which yeah. is ironic right? It's like we don't think of AI or technology or machine learning as uh, a way to develop our empathy. But the truth is, we need to be imploring more behavioral psychology into our entrepreneurship. And uh, this is the STEMI part of the conversation for sure. (laughs) Well, I heard that I didn't hear, I read an article, it was it was a year or two ago, but I thought it was fascinating. I was very excited to read it because it, everyone says philosophy, for example, as a major, it's just a big joke, right? And what are you going to do with this philosophy degree? You're going to work at Starbucks and, you know, nobody wants that. And universities a are- A barista thinking, with soul. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, you know, universities are closing down that major, not offering anymore, but actually there's been a, a huge resurgence and it's because of this. It's yeah. because of all the AI and the machine learning, right? So just to make sure that the the humanity is not taken away, to make sure that people um, with yeah behavioral science or philosophy, ethics. ethics, yeah, ethics backgrounds are part of part of the creation of these things. So yeah, yeah I, I totally and I think often like one of the things that is very difficult whenever I meet people and talk about my project, especially around like funding or VCs. People are always really excited because it is a very strong monetization strategy and it's also free for those impacted by breast cancer. And so people are immediately like, well, how do you monetize them though? And I'm like, are you for real? <laughs> like, do you understand what's going on? Like, you don't, that's the point. And so for me, I think that trying to be ethical and uh, thoughtful and really employing empathy in the sort of creation of stuff and the logic of what I'm doing. For me, that's always been the sort of, let's start with, okay, what what's a good idea? And then how, how can we serve people with this good idea? And then how can we measure that, that it really does serve people? And mm-hmm. then, okay, how do we make money from doing that? 
because that that's how we should be. I mean, I understand that everything can't work that way. That's like perfect world thinking and there'd be different problems in a perfect world. But if we want to start working on things in sort of meaningful ways and especially using our AI and um, machine learning to, to benefit, certainly in healthcare, some of those support mechanisms, like if you're doing this on Facebook, why wouldn't you do this in a system where it's providing you with outputs that actually help you? So rather mm -hmm. than selling you marketing for Licenza, it actually directs you to resources in your community that support bra fittings, which is an important part of aftercare with breast cancer. And so yeah. those things really matter, but it's not monetized that way to like through marketing companies and through the monetization strategists for Facebook. Right. And so thinking about it from that empathetic perspective, rather than just the monetization strategy. So yeah, I just want to monetize with empathy, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a way to do that, I think. And yeah. So I just wanted to work on a project that I thought, Hey, this could really help people. And again, it's founding because it doesn't exist. And it's not something I can solve in a year or two years. Like it, yeah, there are many, many facets that keep it. It's an onion. It's an onion with a Rubik's cube inside. Yeah. But it's a very exciting onion. <laughs> yeah. Even though it may make you cry along the yeah. way. Yeah. Bit. There's definitely tears shed for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's a question, not necessarily about breast buds, but throughout your entrepreneurial um, journeys. Is there one time that you could pinpoint and share where you failed? had a, a big failure and had to get up and dust yourself off and keep moving. Not one. <laughs> many, 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 many times I failed. I'm a big uh, proponent of talking about my failures. Um, I, I think that. that it's super healthy. I actually just read a book called The Power of Moments that talks about uh, just sort of how do you create events in your customer or like in the experience so that that's what sticks with people. Like, how do you identify the moment that sticks with someone? And again, when you're thinking about cancer, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, like when someone's diagnosed, that's certainly a pit moment that sticks with them. And so one of the things that I would say, like I commonly talk about that's a failure now is my branding for breast buds. So when I, I started breast buds three days after I had a double mastectomy, it, it was federally registered three days after my surgery. And so I, like, I, I thought I had something, you know, and I thought this is a really good thing if I can bet this out and this is something. And part of betting it out involved getting a logo and getting a website. And so I just went to like Fiverr and got a logo and I hated the logo, but I was like, all right, well, it's just a placeholder until I, you know, vet this out. And one of the things I learned in the interviews with breast cancer patients and survivors and previvors is that often they think of the ribbon as something they'd associate with fundraising, not necessarily support. And that is a fail. That's just a, a branding fail right away that, you know, is something that is significant. I also, uh, I would say that I failed a lot in the start of my entrepreneurial endeavors, just with like ideas I'd had that I was like, oh, this is really great. And then people would be like, no, that's terrible. <laughs> now like Uber does exist. So I wasn't wrong. Um, so I think lots of us have those sorts of like ideas that we think are really great nuggets and they fail or whatever. But anyway, in that book, one of the things that they talked about was the importance of recognizing failure as, as like a good thing rather than a bad thing because failing means you tried. 
and most people fail by not even trying. And so there's a story about, I think it's Sarah Blakely from Spanx. And she talked about, they um, asked her about, you know, so you're going to this party, you want to wear an open toe shoe. So you cut the bottoms off and you have this, you think you have something. And so she goes out to like a couple hundred different manufacturers and they're all like, ha 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 ha, get out of here. <laughs> and now she's like, Spanx, they're everywhere. And so <laughs> they ask, you know, like, how did you overcome the constant rejection? And she said, my dad used to ask us at dinner, what did you fail at today? And I think like that is super important. Like failure should be something we talk about openly and casually because the more we fail, the closer we're getting to success. And there's data that says with entrepreneurship, 5% of first-time entrepreneurs are successful, 25% of second-time entrepreneurs are successful, and 75% of third-time entrepreneurs are successful. So fail fast, recover get into it again, find something else, you know, like that's the, cause you learn from your first mistakes and you develop a network and you develop experience. You know, there's so much value in face planting. Yeah. So I, I have, I could talk all day, but I won't make you do that. So I apologize, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've asked what, what brought you or drew you to the WeStem program and to working specifically with women entrepreneurs. Again, I identify as a woman entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. so um, I like the idea of community. You know, I like everything I've talked about is it speaks to finding um, people around me who are my likeness. Mm-hmm. And so I really identify with rural. I really identify with the struggle of trying to create something from nothing. I really identify with tech and how tech can remove those barriers, even though it is also in itself its own barrier. And so I I grew up with a grandfather who like, I don't know, I've talked about this reference a lot lately, but I remember my grandfather fixing a toaster and my grandmother being like, I'll pick up a new one, it's $9. And he was like, no, you won't. Because <laughs> he would just like, it, like he would just fix it, you know? Like, yeah. And I think that's something that is very particular to sort of what I think WeSTEM has done Again, I think the ecosystem is saturated with lots of people doing, you know, the same thing. And like, there's lots of $9 toasters out there. But I think that Tech Connect uh, and sort of the regional, like, um, economic development and, and all the sort of regional partners involved in uh, Rinsa and like, sort of all that. I think the individuals who are the shot callers that, uh, in that sort of space are really putting the effort in to, to make sure that they've got a good toaster and just fix their toaster. Right. And so for me, we STEM is a very obvious gap. There's not enough support for women entrepreneurs, especially as it relates to getting them integrated into technology and technology integrated into their businesses. And so that to me is saying like, Oh, well, we'll just, we'll just Jimmy rig it. So it takes bagels now kind of thing, you know, like it's just, sort of taking something that is working and, and recognizing that having that tech, tech connect, creating, you know, support around technology in Southern Alberta when it didn't exist, that is smart thinking. But then being able to step back and identify, you know what, this does not serve women as well as it could. And there's just, you know, we have to identify and recognize that there are different barriers, even like within the spectrum of women, there are different barriers that we have to recognize mm-hmm. and sort of build for. And so noting that, you know, like 
one shoe, you know, one size doesn't fit all really Mm -hmm. matters. And so for me, I think that that is that sort of recognition of, again, how rural um, approaches problems um, when they identify them in their own space. And so I've done lots of work with uh, Lethbridge, ECDEV, and uh, the folks at Tech Connect and working with WeSTEM just felt like a natural. It felt like they built a program for me to work in. <laughs> and you're welcome. Ideas. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're very I mean, happy. No we're very do. happy to have you part part of the program for sure. As a, as a client and as an advisor, both, right? Yeah, so that's and amazing. like legitimately WeSTEM, I would say that the work I've done with WeSTEM with breast buds um, has moved me along more in six months than I had in two years. And that is directly as a result of having the supports in WeSTEM, getting to work with my advisors in WeSTEM, um, having you guys share stuff with me. Like I've applied for three grants and received two thus far based on stuff Yay. you all have sent me. So like, that stuff matters, you know, especially when you're trying to move things along and figure those things out. And I would say that WeSTEM is very connected to its partners and in connecting you to partner organizations that also help, which is, you know, like UofL, Brandy, they've all, everyone has been a really great support for me building a project in Lethbridge. And I'm, I'm very proud to, uh, to, to build my projects in, uh, rural communities because, uh, I don't know. They're my people. It's where I want to be. That's awesome. Okay. So my last question for you before we say goodbye is what's, what's next? What's next for, for Wendy Muse on your journey forward? Okay. So Wendy Muse, uh, entrepreneur, uh, really wants to, I have a, like a genuine plan to, to buy a location in Nanton and create uh, an accelerated offsite location where small businesses from rural communities can come for a week and then actually have their business go through a sort of like strategy rinser and uh, get things set up based on what their objectives are with then support to move forward. So I, I'd really like to work on that in the not too distant future, but founder Wendy is quite busy. And so uh, <laughs> everything else is taking a bit of a backseat to what she's got cooking. And advisor Wendy is uh, always hunting for the next big obstacle. So what is something that people are really struggling with? What is something that people need support with? And so for me, that has a lot recently has been around really testing ideas and understanding whether you have something to work with or, or not. And so the digital media program certainly helps people remove a lot of that barrier. And so I, I like working in that space and finding out more things there. So I'm just going to keep trying to find out what people are struggling with and see if I can help. Awesome. I really hope that in your busy schedule, you find time to sleep because it, it sounds like you've <laughs> got more than 24 hours a day <laughs> lined up. I think there. we, and just to be fair, like for anyone who listens, I get up very early every morning, right? And so sometimes people, like I would say that this is one of the things that people get wrong about entrepreneurs. They either think that in entrepreneurship, you spend your whole day like hanging out and then just money is made somehow because you have such great ideas. Like it's pretty lackadaisical. And then other people think it's this like rise and grind lifestyle. And mm-hmm. um, I get up every day, usually between four and five. I think five is the latest I get up. Although I was saying yesterday, I woke up after six, which is just like, 
is this Christmas day? <laughs> and, but I get up early every morning because I like to work before everyone else, but also I work on projects in other places. Right. And so that gives me opportunity. It also means I can, I can attend accelerator or workshops in like Australia or New Zealand. Like I don't need to limit my purview. Mm -hmm. So I get up early and work on stuff early because I find that really effective. That's my sort of like my golden hours. And then people get up in the morning and start working. And so I chat with people throughout, you know, early day. But as Jenny knows, usually between two and four, (laughs) I'm deep into my nap cycle. And uh, that is the reality of entrepreneurship. And then I take my dog, who is also the head of security here. um, I take her for an adventure and then I make dinner. And then I work again for a few hours. And so it really is about finding finding ways to stack your habits so that you have a good balance of what you want to be doing and what sort of fills your bucket and then the work you have to do to sort of build your business. Right. That's great. And that sounds like a great place to, to end off. So I just thank you so much, Wendy, for being our yeah. first guest on happy the list. Yeah, happy to be part of it. I would also like to add that if you would like any information on the projects that Wendy mentioned, you can check out her website, groundfloorlabs.com. Now, to finish off this week's episode, we are going to do a quick Q&A with our host, Jenny. I thought it would be good to go over some of our frequently asked questions that we get about our programming here at WeSTEM. For sure. So first one up is, how many languages can you receive business advising in through WeSTEM? That's a great question. We are on Blackfoot territory here. So I'm really excited to say that two of our advisors can offer some advising in Blackfoot. But we also have English and French, Canada's two official languages. But we also have some advisors who can speak Spanish, Italian, Persian, and Azerbaijani. So in total, you can actually receive business advising in seven different languages. All right, last one for today, but I wanted to make sure that I included it because it touches on our service area, which is mandated by our funders. Where do we STEM clients live? Great question, especially considering you and I are based in Lethbridge. Some people think that you have to be in Lethbridge, but that's that's not the fact at all. We're mandated to support entrepreneurs all across Southern Alberta. So basically from the BC to Saskatchewan border, and then just north of Calgary down to the American border. If you're in any rural area in there, we are happy to help you. But if you are living in Calgary, unfortunately, we cannot because that's not considered a a rural area. And if you go to our website, you can look at a map. We have a regional map there and you can see exactly the areas that we cover and where we currently have clients. WeCast is a production of the Women Entrepreneurs in STEM program. WeSTEM is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Government of Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Strategy. For more information, visit our website at westem.ca or contact westem at chooselethbridge.ca. Thanks for listening.